Welcome, everybody, to today's Ascendo Reliability webinar. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And uh, today's webinar was really, um, uh, well, I think I've done a podcast on, on this topic, I don't know, a handful of different times. And then, and a couple of them uh, published recently. And uh, I think everybody on, on the live event here and most people that have you know been around me at all know that I have a, a healthy disdain for the use of MTBF or MTTF or MTBUR, any of the other ones where you take an inverse of a failure rate essentially, uh, or you take a, an average of some sets of data that, um, and, and try to use that for some meaningful purpose. There's all kinds of issues with that. And today's discussion is gonna go into that, but it's prompted by a handful of questions. I got three questions within a span of a week. It's going, well, why don't you like MTBF? You know, it's everywhere. It's in the books, it's in classes, it's, in, it's at conferences, um, you know, it's in use in our industry, it's entrenched, all those kinds of things. And so I answered those questions, um, yet I, I thought, you know, if they're asking this, maybe others are too. So let me put together a, a coherent, well, hopefully coherent, I'll try to stay off my soapbox a little bit, um, rationale, why I really don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> you're right, Michael, it's also in contracts, which is kind of, you know, speaks to the, the ability of contract writers to understand reliability and availability and so on, but um, be that as it may, let me get into it here. Um, so many of us know that mean time beef hit failure, and I'm gonna use MTBF and in, in you can substitute MTTF, MTBUR, which is mean time between unscheduled removals or the other thousand different variations of this concept of taking an average. And so one of the things is, is that it's a measure. It's the measure of the, if you have a stack of data and it has time to failure information in it, and you take the average of those times to failure, um, you get the average time to failure. It's, it's a pretty straightforward um, uh, measure and, and it's easy to calculate and it's also, um, easy to misuse or misunderstand, but we'll get into that. As many of you know, and I don't have to re reinforce this too much, is that it's in widespread common use. Um, I was in a ASQ uh, certified reliability engineering body of knowledge update meeting, and it was a couple of days where we we're going through the body of knowledge and you know what stays or what needs to go away. And I lobbied suggested that we get rid of the use of MTBF in the exam, in the body of knowledge. You can understand what it is, uh, but then understand why you don't use it. And they said, no, we have to leave it in because it's in such wide use that whoever's sitting for the exam needs to know what it is and how to use it. And he says, well, you're tacitly confirming that it's a useful metric without any other clarification around it. And the, the main argument to keep it in 
was that it was easy to write test questions using MTBF or MTTF because you could run out the calculations pretty quick by hand. And so they, the argument to keep it was based on that it was easy to use and easy to test for. So doing calculus or doing uh, you know, a Weibull derivation by hand is a bit more difficult than taking a, a, an average or adding failure rates. And so they, they basically kept it because it was easy to use in the exam. Uh, well, that is just the cart before the horse kind of problem, but uh, be that as it may. Um, I've heard it in industry after industry that, well, everybody uses it. I says, well, you know, just because everybody does doesn't mean that you have to. You will have a competitive advantage if you don't. And it, I've seen that happen in company after company that even if it's in the contract, they don't use it until they are complying to the final terms of the contract. So do all your work with Weibull distributions, for example. A Weibull distribution does have a mean value and call that your MTBF, which it is, and put that in or MTTF and you've met the terms, but you've made all of your decisions using much better methods and much better approaches than being doing all your calculations. It's like do all your calculations and metric and at the end of the day, convert it. And even that has problems. And, and that's a minor problem. I think that one's easy to work around. But just because everybody does it doesn't mean you should or have to. The biggest problem I have with it is that it's misleading. Um, years ago, I was at a conference and it was, uh, it was hosted by the ReliSoft team uh, down in San Diego. And I don't know, I had maybe 150, 200 people in the room for some presentation I was going to make. I think it was going to be about assessments or something like that. And just before I went on and was being introduced, the um, somebody asked me, so I, I ran into somebody, somebody asked me a question and said that one of their colleagues thought MTBF was a failure-free period and what should they do? And then I was being introduced. So I went on stage and instead of telling a joke, I just asked the audience, how many of you have had an occasion similar to this question I just got where somebody thought it was a failure-free period or some other way that the people you were working with really didn't understand what this measure really was, what it represented. And it was, I believe every single hand in the place went up. And I said, hmm, well, this is more interesting than what I was gonna talk about. So we spent the next 45 minutes, close to an hour, talking about all the different ways that people have misunderstood MTBF and what they could do about it. And it was a great discussion. And it kind of sparked in me that there was a need to help expose all the different ways people really don't understand what this is. And a failure-free period was just one of them. It was unfortunately very common. The issue I have is not with the mathematics of what it is. It is what it is. It is a average. There's, that's what it is. It's mathematically fine. Every distribution has an average. In some cases, it's useful. In many cases, especially in reliability, it's not. 
it's not helping us in so, so many ways. But I'll get into that a little bit later. The biggest issue is that the vast um, number of people that we interact with and work with, and even many of our peers, have a fundamental misunderstanding of what this measure is. What is an MTTF or MTBF? And if I hear one more person tell me that MTBF is for repairable material and MTTF is for non-repairable material, and that's all the further your understanding goes, you know, it just reinforces that we have a long way to go to get this understood. The idea is we need to make summaries and calculate statistics that are estimates of population parameters and getting kind of deeper into the reliability or into statistics here in order to inform ourselves and our peers and, our, and, and key people in our organizations so they all can make better decisions. And when we, when we use a measure that is almost as universally misunderstood, is almost totally misunderstood, we're doing a disservice to everybody that's trying to interpret what these things mean and, and to make decisions with that. And I'll get into that also. That's where my problem is, is that we, misuse it, misuse this stuff. It's, and I'm not even sure if it's spelled misleading, right? But the idea is, is that it causes havoc more often than it should. And I'm a firm believer in that the statistics we use should actually be understood and useful rather than misunderstood and misleading. You know, we measure time to failure. We measure uh, the uh, arrival rate of failures. We, we use this kind of stuff in order to calculate how many spares we need and how good is vendor A versus vendor B. We use a lot of different uh, measures, not just, or a lot, we measure a lot of different things in order to make judgments, to make comparisons, to, to assess where to make improvements and so on. If that measure is not given us the full picture, then we're shortchanging ourselves. And so part of this overall message is let's avoid MTBF and use the modern, modern, been around for a long time, like 70 years. Let's use the techniques and measures that we have available today to actually extract way more and richer information from our data sets and from what we're measuring. And oh, I could go on and on with all kinds of stories of how what we measure really, really matters. And we'll get into that. So first off, MTBF is not reliability. It is a, it is, doesn't fit with the way we define reliability as being four parts, function, environment, probability of success, and duration. And here's a quick quiz for you. Which part of this function, or this four-step function, is MTBF actually related to? Now, some people believe it's, it's reliability incarnate. It's the whole picture. It's one point one number that is the reliability of a function or of a system. So if somebody says it's 50,000 hour, uh, this box is 50,000 hours MTBF, 
there's some people believe that that is the reliability figure of merit. That represents its probability of success over some duration. Although I don't really understand how that interpretation is done. So what part of this or how well does MTBF actually represent these four elements? And the, the other piece I, I've run into is I, in my, the class I teach at Maryland, the very first question I ask the students is find an advertisement that uses the term reliability in it. And how are they using that term? What is the definition that they're using for that term? And if you use a, a standard English dictionary and you look up reliability, it will say something to the effect of it's trustworthy. The, it's, it's trustworthy. Well, MDBF is not trustworthy. <laughs> I think many of here people on the audience here understand why, but the idea is is that in reliability engineering and in engineering we tend to define reliability with these four elements, and the probability of success is a probability. It is a a ninety eight percent chance of success, which has got in and of itself is pretty meaningless unless you add a duration to that. So it'll be 98% probable of success over a two-year period. And to be complete, it's got a primary function, whatever it is, and it's got an environment or set of use conditions where it's ex expected to be, where we think that probability is true. Now, I didn't get any answers on this because on, on where, where does MTBF fit in here? And, and it does. It's actually a, if you think about it, it's the inverse of a failure rate over, and it, and it has a bunch of other characteristics to it, but it's the, the average time between arrival of failures in a repairable system, for example. Um, so it's, it's just, it's an average. And if you flip that over, instead of average time to failure, it's the number of failures per unit time, which is a failure rate, and the rate of arrival of these things. So in that regard, it's similar to a probability. And one way to think of it is if the only thing you have is MTBF, say 50,000 hours, and you have no information about the type of underlying distribution that that was derived from, where it was calculated from, we tend to assume it's an exponential distribution. So then it then implies that there's a one in 50,000 chance every hour of this thing failing. And if we knew the underlying distribution and use say a Weibull with a, a higher beta value, for example, um, that probability of failure per hour would change over time. It would increase over time. But if the only thing we have is MTBF, we, we lose even that bit of information. And so we're left with that it has this equal chance of failing every single hour. And so every hour you roll this 50,000 sided dice and see if you luckily or unluckily uh, succeeded or failed. What's missing though is duration. MTBF is often missed or uh, confused with because it's stated in hours very often or some other unit of, of time or, or 
or duration of some sort, but it's not. It's a average time to failure. It is not a time. And that leads to that very big problem I ran into with that very first question I received that said, you know, why do they think it's a failure-free period? Well, that because it said it's good for 50,000 hours. I was like, well, okay, I get that. It's, so it doesn't meet the, these four elements. Now, sometimes we imply function and environment when we're talking about a product. Yet, I highly recommend that we, every time we talk about reliability, you as minimum say, well, what's the probability of success? Or if you are more of a negative bent, what's the probability of failure over some duration? And one of the things I really like doing is when somebody says, oh, it's got a 50,000 hour MTBF. And I ask them over what duration? Is that good for a year? Or is that good for five years? Or is that good forever or 20 years? Or what's the duration? And that usually gets the deer in the headlight kind of look going, well, I don't know what you mean. It's an MTBF. I'm like, okay. Then we have a different discussion. Let's see. MTBF. So I've said it a couple of times, it's an average duration between failures. Or it's, the way we commonly estimate this is we take the total amount of time that our system has been running or multiple systems have been running. And if it's a repairable system, then you might have one or more or zero or, or more failures per system, but you just tally them. You tally up the total time and you divide by the tally of numbers. It's a common way to, it's even called an unbiased estimator of this, this parameter. We do the same for um, repairable or non-repairable systems. We take the total amount of time that all these things were running and we count the number of failures and we get an average duration between failures, an average time between failures. So I thought, well, how does the common world here, you know, so I went to, to our favorite search engine and typed in um, what is MTBF definition or what is the definition of MTBF? And almost every one of them said mean time between failure. Um, I didn't see any that said mean time before failure. I, I haven't seen that in a long time. But then it, these are quotes of the, you know, just the top, what, six or seven, six different entries that came up in the search result. And, and I went further down and there was even more and more that confused it directly with reliability, you know, as bad as a measure of equipment reliability. I'm like, hmm, okay. Inverse of a failure rate. Some of these are accurate and some of these are descriptive of, you know, what, how we commonly use it or, and, and understand it. Yet there were plenty that were just wrong. And that was in the first 10, uh, of search results. And some of these were by software companies that do data analysis for on, on maintenance equipment or on reliability systems and time to failure type equipment. And that, hmm. Now, I know some of those people and I know they know better, at least the statisticians that work there and the systems do better. But when I confront them, they say, well, people want to buy something that calculates MTBF form. I'm like, why? is <laughs> kind of my question. And so they pay for that. They don't pay for a Weibull analysis as much. They, 
they want to have the ability to calculate MTTF and MTBF. I'm like, okay, that's what they do. And it just continues this vicious circle. But the average duration between failures is, it's not reliability at all. It's kind of related to that probability part, the probability of failure, if you phrase it in time between failures, but there's no duration. So it's, it's such a poor fragment of reliability, yet it's widespread, I found, so many people that think that's the measure of reliability and that's all we need. And hence a lot of misunderstanding and problems with it. So here's a few that I heard. What other ways have you heard MTBF um, misunderstood? So I'm sure all of you have run across people that think it's a failure-free period. And there's people that think, it well, it has the word mean in it. And I remember from college that in high school that a mean of something is the 50th percentile. Well, sometimes, you know, if you've got a, a, a uni or not a uniform distribution, that would work because it's but a, like a bell-shaped thing that's symmetrical or a uniform would work or a triangle would work if it's symmetrical about the middle. So the mean, median, and mode would all be at the same place. Now, we often work with log normal and Weibull distributions, which are, while they can mimic a, you know, or a, a bell-shaped curve in, under certain conditions, they usually don't. And I think Chris Jackson did a webinar where he showed that if you change the underlying distribution and calculate MTBF, it could be the 10th percentile or it could be the 90th percentile. The mean is that, is a description of a of the center of gravity of a, a distribution. It's kind of where it's a measure of the not just the number of points. That's a median, but it's the measure of the number of points and their distance away from the middle from that the average point. And so, if they're all stacked up really high right at the start, really high infant mortality piece, but some of them lasted for a really, really long time. The MTBF really could be like a 10 or 20th percentile of your distribution and vice versa. If you've got a really steep wear out me mechanism and it has no failures or very little failures for a long time, and then they all fail real quick, the MTBF could be closer to the 90th percentile. Yet when we only calculate MTBF, we don't have much of any useful information to understand what was the pattern of failures underneath. We, that's been erased essentially into this measure, simplified out. One of the things I've run into is I, I had one person tell me, well, we only use MTBF when we're dealing with the flat part of the bathtub curve. He says, well, when does that occur? He goes, it's when our product is in use, once it leaves our factory and until it gets decommissioned, um, or until it wears out, that's the part that's flat curve. And I said, well, okay. How do you know it's in the flat curve if the only thing you do with your data analysis is calculate averages? And, and they looked at me like, why, why would you check this? It's the, we, we know it's in the flat part. 
I'm like, well, how do you know? And that went round and round a little bit until we finally pulled out some data and it showed that they were nowhere near the flat part of the curve. Then another guy chimed in and he said, well, we make sure it's in the flat part of the curve. I said, how do you do that? And he says, well, we eliminate all the data that was early failures, right? So if it fails in the first six months, we don't count those because that's the early life part, that's infant mortality, and that's not part of the flat part of the curve. So we eliminate those, we ignore those. And those are usually installation problems, factory defects, you know, stuff like that. So they don't count. He says, well, the product failed for your customer and you had to replace it. Yeah, 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 but that's a quality issue. That's not a reliability issue. Well, what about these failures over here where they're obviously wearing out? And he says, well, that's user abuse. They're not, you know, they're doing something wrong and stuff like So we, we don't count those either. And so they only counted the failures that didn't exhibit failure mechanisms that they didn't like. And, and they kept fairly small data set of what was remaining and, and adjusted that until it was relatively flat. And he said, well, at least you're using the data. It's kind of concerning that you're ignoring a you know, third to two thirds of your failure mechanisms that, and not doing anything about those. But that was another dis discussion. I had one person, a senior statistician at a major company working on the military uh, systems for the government saying that, well, we only assume we have a constant hazard rate. And he says, well, that's convenient. And he says, well, um, so all of our data is treated and only analyzed, assuming it's a constant hazard rate. And so how do you know that's true? And I kind of went through that same you know, process. And they said, well, if you don't check, then it's true. It was kind of the gist of their argument. Right. Hmm. Well, that's convenient. You know, if you never look, then you can't tell. So you your your assumption is always true. Hmm, I get that. Okay. Usually doesn't work. You know, if I go into a store and say, well, I, I'm just going to assume that I paid for this and I'm not going to check to see if I actually have a receipt or not. Um, well, I'd probably get arrested. <laughs> you know, let's, let me, let's be clear here. We can't change what actually is happening you know, with the data set that we have by using a metric that we find convenient or informative or whatever. It, if it doesn't have a constant hazard rate, if it's not in the flat part of the curve, it is what it is. And isn't part of the data analysis and the measures of reliability that we're trying to use supposed to inform us as to whether it's true or not, if it's working or not. And so I think I got a doorbell. There's a contractor showing up today to, to do some work. So hopefully my wife will, will get a hold of that. And, and so on. So there's more and more out of misunderstandings of what it is or isn't. And, and the variations of that then lead to all kinds of weird ways that it's used. Now I'm using, like I mentioned earlier, is I'm using MTB off to imply that it's, you know, MT whatever. And Last count, there was over a thousand different variations depending on what industry you're in and what particular nuance a data set that you wanted to include or not include within some 
particular calculation. So one of the fun things, and it's more like game playing, is how we actually calculate MTBF. Now, the most of, often or most common one, right, is that we just assume everything is, is an exponential distribution. And it makes it so much simpler so that we can then add the failure rates, take the inverse of that, and we have theta, which is a, a, a Greek character that we commonly use to represent MTBF or MTTF. And we can do all kinds of cool you know, calculations using the exponential distribution that way. But, it, but remember that the ability to add failure rates because of the exponential distribution's behavior, it's memoryless type behavior and it's other mathematical behavior, is that e to the lambda t for one component, and then you can add e to the lambda t or is, a, uh, is the reliability of the exponential function and multiply it times e to the negative lambda t for the next component. And if I'm interested in those two components in a system, well, I can work out the exponential distributions and do the, you know, that, that uh, exponent calculation and work out the numbers and then multiply them together and I get my system um, reliability. Or as a feature of an exponential distribution, I can just add the failure rates and only do the exponent part once. And that was very, very convenient before we had computers and we were, had mechanical adders and then electric adders for many, many decades. And it made calculating system reliability, if we, all we had was a bunch of failure rates, um, much, much easier. We could actually do it. It was, you'd have a whole room full of people called calculators that were adding numbers all day long. And then somebody, an engineer, would get out a, a slide rule and do the exponent part. Uh, at the end of the day to run out all these calculations. So in some parts, we assume a constant failure rate or an exponential distribution simply because it makes the calculations easier. It, and you know what happens in engineering when we make simplifying assumptions. We are giving up part of the information. We're giving up what may well be important. Now, there's not many people that are, really care about the average time to failure. I want to know when's the first 1% fail. Now, if I'm using an exponential distribution, I can calculate that. It will be wrong most of the time, especially wrong if the underlying distribution is well, Weibull or, X, or gamma or uh, uh, log normal or something else. The idea is, is that that simplifying step so that we can do a parts count method, for example, is assuming away a bunch of information. And then we use that for all kinds of other calculations and decision-making and everything else, which never recovers that underlying information. I don't know how many people I've talked to, I've lost count of saying, well, we do the you know, 217 or some other variant of that. And it's never accurate to what happens in the field. And I said, and how do we correct that? How do we put 
you know, uh, fudge factors on it so that we can uh, adjust it to what the reality is. Well, how about you actually just measure the reality? <laughs> you know, why don't you understand your failure mechanisms and do something different? And instead of uh, really thinking about how does this method work and why are we making these assumptions, you know, go do something useful is kind of what I often uh, do it. Yeah, you can, Sean, you can correct with Bayesian analysis, but why don't you just start out with a better, a, a less onerous set of assumptions, you know? And you can, then you have a smaller correction if you're actually using the full set of data that you have available rather than simplifying it so you can add failure rates, which is kind of ridiculous to me. We have the tools and capabilities today to add a viable, you know, to multiply Weibull and exponents and or, uh, exponential and, and log normal and whatever we want in our reliability block diagrams and other systems. We have the tools today to do it pretty simply. Um, we don't need to make these simplifying assumptions. Testing. I, I started going through my textbooks in various books on reliability to see how common this was. And it was just about every single one of them had some variant of, let's use the chi-square distribution to do a time-based test plan or a failure-based test plan. And there was different sub, you know, ways of looking up the chi-squared value for this. And then it lets you run out. Basically, well, either I need to know how many failures or, do I go run this test for, and then it, it terminates there and it gives me then an estimate of the total time, um, but it's not accurate because it's failure determinated. Or we say, well, let's run it for zero failures or for one failure, um, but we only run it for a specific amount of time and total time. And so you recognize that total time divided by number of failures, that's our unbiased estimator of MTBF or MTTF or whatever. Let's play a game with this though. So if I know I'm making a tire, I got a new tire and it has tread and it's got air in it. So it's not a brand new technology at all, but I wanna advertise that it has 100,000 hours of life on it. And you'll see that used kind of ambiguously. And so you dig into the numbers a little bit, this is an actual case. I said, oh, so if I take a hundred tires, you know, put them on 25 vehicles and run this out, all of them for hundred thousand miles, um, I should expect only one failure in that time period. Is that what you're saying? And they said, no, 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 we didn't do it that way. We didn't have time to run vehicles for hundred thousand miles. Besides the tread will wear out and then it, they'll fail. Oh, okay. So they won't last a hundred thousand miles. No, no, that's not, that's, that's just the way we did it is we went to the chi-square distribution and we found out that if we ran, you know, a thousand tires for each a uh, hundred miles, that's the same as running one for a hundred thousand. I says, really, how is that true? He says, well, it's, that's what the test plan, that's what the math says. And I, oh, okay. And so they ran a whole pile of tires on a little jig they had in their, in their shop. And 
the tread didn't have a chance to wear out. And so they were able to claim, honestly, from their test results that they had a 100,000 mile tire. And I was like, hmm, that just doesn't smell right to me, you know? And we kind of went through how misleading that is. And he says, well, but, but we have to have a big number. We don't want a low failure rate number. And we don't want to tell the truth that, you know, it's a wear out mechanism or it's this, you know, random failures are running over a nail or something like that. So we had to, but we wanted to have test data to do it. So we were able to use a common test planning technique and show that we could go a hundred thousand miles. Like, okay. It's kind of ignoring the actual physics of what's going on in one of your failure mechanisms by deliberately testing where that mechanism is not going to occur. And well, that's not in the flat part of the curve. And they kind of went off in that direction. I'm like, all right, well, not a lot of help for you. I'm not buying your tires though, based on that information. But there's all kinds of games you can play with this. And so if you don't get the number you want, just keep adding time to it until you get the number. You know, if you get a failure too early, add 10 more samples in there. So you accumulate more time in a period when they're less likely to fail. If you really are concerned about infant mortality, you know, don't start anymore. And if infant mortality does occur, well, take those off the test and let the other ones that don't have that inherent failure mechanism in it, that early life failure mechanism, in, let them run a little bit longer. You'll still get to your total time. You can pretty much come up with a test plan to prove whatever you want by if you don't truly have a exponential distribution, if you truly don't, your product is, and it's most likely not, doesn't have a constant hazard rate. So you can game this to get pretty much any re response you want. And I, I've run into this discussion countless times where it's, isn't that just unethical? You know, if you know you got a wear out mechanism and you don't run the test long enough to cause that to occur, yet you know it's going to occur in the field for your customers, isn't that deceiving? Isn't that against our ethical, you know, code of ethics kind of thing? And I usually get this blank look like we're just trying to do our job here, man. Come on, give me a break. It's a problem. Yes, it's easy. Yes, we can calculate tests. Yes, we can do very efficient tests doing this thing. If, and only if, the underlying assumptions are true. If we truly are in a constant hazard rate situation, there's nothing wrong with these things. If you don't look, that doesn't change the fact whether you are or aren't. It's, and in my experience, you are often not in a constant hazard rate situation. And the games continue which is certainly an issue. Field data. I think I tipped my hand a little bit. It was this one guy said, all of the field data we have, we only take the average because everything is in the constant hazard rate situation. Everything's random failure rates. How do you know that? Do you do any failure analysis? Well, yeah, sometimes things wear out, but it's totally random. It says, well, of course it's random. It's also showing a pattern where it's an increasing frequency of occurrence. So if you have a set of bearings, it's kind of classic that they run pretty 
effortlessly for a good amount of time, and then they wear out. It says, oh no, it's totally random. So that randomness means that it's a constant hazard rate because that's where the random failures occur. I said, hmm, well, everything is random, right? Yet a bell curve, is that imply if you measured capacitors and, and you ended up with a nice little histogram that looked like a bell curve, would you say that that's random? I goes, oh yeah, that's random. And he says, would you then just take the average to describe that total behavior? Oh, of course it's, like, oh my gosh. Where did he get off the statistics understanding train? It's in, so I was like, <laughs> it, I need to take a breath. That was just absolutely frustrating. And he was dealing with programs that were in the tens of billions of dollars. And I was like, this, this guy needs to get a new job and not in accounting or anything doing with numbers. The idea is that the field data is oftentimes our best information about what's working and what's not working. And we make major decisions based on field data. Do we need to stop production and fix something? Do we need to, um, you know, stock more spares? Do we is are we going to hit our, our warranty type numbers? Do we need to account for that one way or the other? We use field data a huge swath of different ways. Just and if it's cloudy or foggy or we're glossing over the details of what that data can tell us, we're kind of in the blind here of what's really going on to the point where I've actually seen it where they, well, anyway, it's, I think that's in my coming up slide here. But the idea is, is that and it was an article I wrote early on in my time starting to do writing on blogs and, and publishing stuff with Ascendo and other sites was we got to listen to our data, let the data sing, I think was the title of it. We don't impose a distribution on our data sets. The data sets reveal their what their patterns are, what their behaviors are. And then in regression analysis is then we tease out what is this data set really telling us? So we plot it. We plot it a number of different ways. We, under, we do regression analysis and look at the residuals. We, we try to understand what this data set is telling us, what's its behavior over time. Instead of just saying, well, we don't have time for that. That's all statistics, mumbo jumbo. We're just gonna estimate total time and count the failures. It's easy peasy. We get an MTBF number. That's what our goals are stated in. So why would we analyze it any other way? And, and since they're, random failures, because that's the way we're assuming they are, we don't bother with failure analysis. We just fix it when we're done. You know, repairs replace as we go. Yeah, it's like, hmm, okay. This is, it's an example of, because it's easy, it's tempting to use that. Everybody else is using it. It's easy. It's expected. It's in the contracts. It's what we do. Yet we all know that it's only part of the information that's available in the data sets we work in. 
with test data or field data, for example, or even, you know, vendor data or testing, you know, their test results or whatever sets of data they actually have. Now, I concede that it may actually be a constant hazard rate. It's been exceedingly rare and of all the data sets I've ever seen that that's true. If what we're trying to do is make decisions, doesn't it behoove us and those people we're working with to have the best interpretation of that data possible? So why use an MTBF calculation or an estimate of MTBF because it's easy. When we know that it eliminates a whole raft of useful information that we really need to know in order to make progress, in order to make decisions, in order to set priorities, in order to make comparisons. It's just, anyway. I shouldn't drink coffee before talking about MTBF. All right, so now we got all this issue if it's misunderstood and the way we estimate or calculate it is fraught, but we use it. So you get two vendors, one says 50,000 hour MTBF, the other one says 40,000 MTBF, which one's better? I would contend we really don't know. And usually I go back to those vendors and say, well, how did you estimate your, your claim of your MTBF value here? Oh, and by the way, what's its real reliability and over what duration is this probability function due? And how do you confirm, how did you confirm that it is a, a constant hazard rate? Or do you have data that suggests it's not? And usually at that point, the sales engineer, you know, is like, oh, you need to talk to somebody else. But if you find out they're using a parts count method, well, you know that that's pretty much a random number. And so it, that value is, even if it's got confidence on it, it isn't, it's pretty random generated number. And even in these uh, like 217 and other documents that do parts counts, it's not to be used to estimate actual field performance. It's, it's, not, it's not good at doing that, so don't do that. The other vendor says, oh, well, we did a, a life study and here's the three failure mechanisms and here's the Weibull analysis of that, but all of our customers seem to only want MTBF or MTTF. So we calculated off of that, but it, here's the actual distribution. If, you, if you're asking questions like that, you, here's the real distribution. And now I've got a piece of real information, somebody that actually is trying to use the a better method of estimating the MTBF value and had data and information behind it that supported it. So independent of what their claims were, I'd much rather work with the organization that understands the limitations of MTTF or MTBF and parts count predictions and is actually using the analysis internally properly or better than just assuming it's a constant hazard rate. I'll work with them. It's much more likely that their number is actually accurate or more accurate uh, than the parts count prediction one and so on. But if I'm only given MTBF or an MTF TTF value for something or an annualized failure rate for that matter, I really don't have a lot of information there. And 
any given MTBF value, there's an infinite number of ways you can arrive at that value, right? Maybe they ran their test a very short duration with lots of units or vice versa, very few samples that ran for a very long time. And each scenario gives them the same result or could, yet it gives us a completely different story about how that product works or doesn't work. And so component selection is, is rife with this because we get FITs or AFRs or MTTFs or MTBFs, which is devoid of useful information in my opinion. And so comparing them doesn't help because there's so many different ways that those numbers are derived. And, and even, you know, there's an infinite number of ways to get the average of two. We only want one way to calculate it. We want to understand the pattern of failure. What's our probability of failure after two years? That narrows it down. And it's not perfect, but it's better than just giving me a, an average failure rate. All right, we do data analysis. And I don't know of a single manager ever that said, I wanna know when like half of our products fail. That's, that's the number I really am interested in or the 63rd percentile. I actually converted it for a company once and said, all right, you have this claim of 5,000 hours MTBF. And they had a duration that they talked about their product should run for. And I says, oh, okay. Let's do a little calculation here. You're saying that you're okay with 36% probability of success over that duration. Well, that doesn't sound very good at all. I says, well, that's what you're telling your customers. Lucky for you, they don't understand MTBF any more than you do. So they think it's great. I says, well, how's your warranty doing? Oh, it's horrible. We get all our products back. And I said, well, yeah, I can't imagine why. What they were doing in order to track whether there was an issue or not an issue, you know, if an increasing failure rate of this product was, you know, maybe there was a, a bad batch or something or error in the production line or, or whatever reason the failure rates were changing in the field is they would plot MTBF every month. And so they were plotting averages next to each other. And I said, well, how do, do you calculate it per month? of data or to use it a cumulative one. And oh, it's a cumulative. And I says, do your plots tend out to be kind of erratic and then they kind of level out and get real, don't give you any information? Oh yeah, how'd you know? I says, well, you got this cumulative average going. So the first couple of weeks, you get some variety there or variation there because you're seeing the differences. But as you continue to add more to the pool, you know, think of it as a pool of water. If I take a teaspoon, a nice pool filled with, uh, with cold water and I put a teaspoon of hot water in there, it's not going to change the temperature a whole lot. But if I only measure that one cup where that teaspoon went into, if I have a sensitive enough uh, thermometer, I might be able to measure that difference. And by looking at our data on a month-to-month -month basis, we're probably looking for differences. So doing this cumulative average thing is just smoothing it out so that you get really little information from month to month of what's going on. 
Now that's not MTBF's fault. That's, that was their plottiness, but they wanted to detect differences. And so they were using MTBFs. And so they used a, what they thought was common sense to track their field data. And they thought, oh, you know, it's because we're, and they waved their hands a lot and said, you know, we're, uh, you know, getting better at manufacturing, we, we, you know, we're up the learning curve, we're doing all these things. Those things do happen, they're true. Yet, when you looked at, when you broke down their data on a more month to month arrival rate of failures, uh, just cumulative failures, and eliminated the timepiece and the grand average piece, it was much more informative. Then we started looking at different Weibull distributions or, or various you know, patterns that way. And it was even more informative. But the idea is, is that you're not stuck with MTBF when you do data analysis. It's kind of a crutch to limit what you can do in data analysis. So part of it is if we're really trying to detect differences or make comparisons or, or whatever else we're doing with the data set try to keep it as many assumptions out of the analysis as you can and let the data talk to you. Let the data reveal its intricacies, its variations, its patterns. Uh, doing anything short of that is, is pretty bad. Let's see, Lucas brings in, in a scenario that you contract in a new product has never been designed before, what do you suggest if MIL-17 is not appropriate? Well, first up, MIL-17 is, not appropriate for anything, um, in my opinion. Um, but how about asking that design team early on to do an FMEA and what are the likely ways this thing could fail and what are the consequences? And then let's design those out. And for the areas that and I doubt that it's completely new, never been designed before, there's probably circuit boards, there's probably gears and motors, or there's things that we have a lot of information about. Let's build a simple block diagram and use the, what information we have available to populate it. And for the areas that have the most uncertainty or are truly novel or new, well, let's go do the analysis on that. And it could be analytical or, or actually in the lab. Let's go characterize those things and get actual numbers for estimates of time to failure and their distributions, populate that model. We don't need a 25 year old defunct uh, approach to estimating reliability that has so many assumptions in it that it's less than useful. So I'd say, actually go do the reliability work, you know, go figure out what you know and don't know. Yeah, as Brian's going there, let's go do the stuff that helps us prioritize. What do we need to understand better and build on the information that we already have? And, you know, do the work, and sometimes it's hard work to characterize or, or, or actually evaluate and determine the time to failure distributions for things that are truly new. Not easy in many circumstances, but it's really a better answer than waving your hand over the, the, the wishing well of MTBF called Milhambeck 217 or any of the other parts based systems. They, it's just, it's going to give you a number. It's most certainly going to mislead you. And so I don't think it's viable as an, a way to help your team sort of how to, to make a reliable system. 
even if it's totally new. There's way better options we have available today. So we use MTBF to monitor performance. You know, we're in, one of the things I really have a hard time with is people want to use MTBF to calculate how many spares they need. Or should we do predictive maintenance or preventative maintenance or, you know, uh, do those kinds of things? Well, if you only have MTTF, TTF or MTBF, and you're assuming that it's a constant hazard rate, the only maintenance strategy is run to failure and replace it. There's really little to no use doing anything else if you truly believe you've got a constant hazard rate. Now, many experienced people know that, you know, bearings wear out. And so we're going to avoid using MTBF because it doesn't help us understand whether or not to, how many to order or, or when to have them. One of the big issues with using uh, MTTF or MTBF for spares, for example, is that you're almost always, think of a, a, a bearing that obviously wears out. So if I've got cumulative failures on the vertical axis and time on the horizontal axis, it'll be a, a relatively low line to start and then it'll curve upward as it starts to, as that population of bearings starts to wear out, as they get to however long before they, they start wearing. So if I fit a straight line to that curve, I can calculate the average, right? And I can say, all right, early on, I need way more samples or way more spares than I actually need. And now I have to store them. I have to maintain them. Some of them are going to get damaged or lost or rusted and they won't work and I'll have to buy some more. And then after that one point where the average is true, after that point, now the wear out mechanism is, is proceeding unabated. And now I don't have enough samples available. If I only use the average, I'll only be right at one point in time. And at one point in time, I'll have the right number of samples for the expected number of failures in my fleet. Early on, if it's a wear out mechanism, I'll have too many samples and they'll likely rot or just cost money because of space. And then after that one point, then I won't have enough samples. So using an average for something that has an import mortality or early or a wear out mechanism is a poor substitute for understanding that pattern or distribution. And then you can adjust accordingly. What I've run into so many different maintenance folks that say, you know, we know this thing behaves this way. It, it has this wear out, it does this, it does that. So we'll choose to do, despite the calculations using MTBF values, we're going to use predictive maintenance or preventative maintenance on this because we know from experience that it works. But they're doing this, I've run into a number of teams where they're doing this kind of PM planning sparers planning based on experience, not on the numbers. They don't trust the numbers because they're just generally not correct. And I say, well, you know, if you have all this data and you have all this experience, how about we 
fit a Weibull distribution to this and see what's going on. And then you could use that to refine your hunch, your, 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 your intuition, your experience to get the proper number of samples. And they go, oh, well, that'd be cool. We got all the data. Why don't we use it instead of ignoring it? So plenty of different ways that we get into trouble around MTBF. So the bottom line in this one is, you know, friends don't let friends use MTBF is probably the best phrase, is ask questions, challenge the assumptions. How do you know? And then focus on what's important. You know, if we're trying to make a decision, what's the best information we can use, which is most likely not MTBF in order to make that decision for, for whichever way we're trying to do something. And I think the, I, once I think it was Sean, no, it's somebody else mentioned um, it's in contracts. That's true. Customers expect MTBF or MTBF. Our industries expect this. Everybody's doing this. Please don't limit that to your internal behavior. Make that a, I, I, to avoid actually doing a better job. If somebody really, really wants MTBF and you've got a nice Bible distribution describing your, or some, you know, uh, distribution type system or some other way to estimate your actual system reliability that's not based on MTBF, you can still probably calculate an, a mean value for that and give it to them. What I recommend is you give them both, give them the, the Weibull plot and the MTBF with a white paper explaining what this MTBF thing is and isn't and what the, the, the cumulative distribution plot is and how to use it. It's not been once that when I've done that, that somebody says, oh, that's way more, they say, oh, that's not useful at all. I want only the MTBF. They almost always go, oh, I didn't know you could do a CDF and that's actually useful. I can actually make better decisions with that. Thank you. It's what I typically get. Your mileage may vary with that. So thanks for chiming in today and, and listening to my rant, basically. Um, any other comments or questions? Uh, now I'll stay on the line um, to see if there's any other thoughts. But I tried to lay out and not get on my soapbox too many times, uh, why I really advise people to avoid MTBF or and it's Kim.